where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. There's a story that I once heard um, about Beethoven, that when he was playing for kind of the Lottie da Salon audiences who maybe had a penchant for just sort of listening quietly or drifting off and otherwise not seeming that into the music that he was playing, he would kind of um, lull them into this space of comfort with some very gentle music and then crash the keys on the piano all of a sudden to startle them awake. And that's a little bit like the passages that we have in the Bible today. We have two sections that are connected thematically, but they are interwoven into some stories that would otherwise be mistaken for these sweet little fables that we might otherwise hear uh, maybe a little more gently than Jesus said them. And so today we are reading these two sections, both of them from Luke 13. And the first section that we are leading, reading is uh, Luke 13, 1 through 9. What's happening at this time is that Jesus is teaching, and it appears that people are kind of coming and going. And as they come and go, they're having this conversation. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And then he said to the vindresser, Lo, these three years I have been seeking fruit on this tree, and I found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Let it alone, sir. This year also, till I dig about it and put it on manure. And if it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. And then we move forward a little bit to Luke 13, 31 through 35, which goes like this. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, 
Get away from here, because Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox for me, Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will finish my work. But today and tomorrow and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. You see, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. May these words be words of wisdom and light for us today. I know some of you have chickens, and I grew up in a family that raised chickens. So when I was a kid, one of the dreaded chores in our household was closing up the chickens for the night. And it wasn't because it was particularly hard, it was because it had to happen late in the day. And we would often lose track of time, and it would get dark out. And then whoever's turn it was to close the chickens in would have to wrangle one of the brothers or sisters to go out with them. And when we did that, we would venture out and lock the doors as fast as we can. But if we slowed down enough to take more than just kind of that fast peek into the chicken coop, we would see the chickens all lined up across their roosting posts. And some of them would be huddled together, especially the hens with her chicks. And some of them might already have their little heads tucked under their wings and they would be fast asleep. And it was every bit as heartwarming as you think it is. It was also a reminder of the danger of being a chicken. Chickens are easy pickings. The reason that you have to be so careful to double and triple check the locks on those doors isn't because the chickens are going to get out in the middle of the night. It's because the predators will get in. And they are crafty. Uh, We didn't have fox. We had raccoons. And given enough time, a raccoon will figure out how to jiggle a door open if you haven't launched it just right. Or if you have a little rope tying something, they'll untie it. And then the chickens who are low on the food chain and don't have a lot of fighting skills are at their mercy. What's also true about the chickens is that when they are faced with danger, whether it's a raccoon or a wildfire, a hen will gather her chicks up and she will shield them with her body. It's one of the images that Jesus gives us today. And it is beautiful to think of God working that way. When Jesus says it, he says it like this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have desired to gather your children together 
as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. And that's the part that flips the image a little bit. It becomes an invitation still, but there is also some judgment. And I think to understand it more fully, uh, it's best to look back at our readings again. The first section that we looked at was the parable of the fig tree. And if you have your Bible open or if you want to open another tab in a browser, that's the section that was in Luke 13, 1 through 9. The section here begins with the people doing what we all do every day. They are hearing the news, and then they're pondering what it means in light of their faith. They're talking about two particular tragedies. There's first this group of people, of Galileans, who were worshiping in a temple when they were murdered by Roman soldiers. And then there were these people who were killed when a tower collapsed. And we don't have any other historical or biblical reference for this. But it's possible that the people in the tower were either builders who were there working, or that the tower was part of another temple, maybe an older temple, that people were visiting as some sort of a pilgrimage. Either way, what we know is that the deaths were unexpected and they were tragic. And as people are talking about these things, they also seem to be asking why they happened. We don't have their questions in the Bible, but we know that there is some blaming going on, some victim blaming going on, because Jesus' reply is, do you think you are better than them? In this first section, when Jesus is talking about repenting, he's talking about turning away from this propensity that we have to protect ourselves by believing that we are safe from life's tragedies. We still hear that kind of thinking all the time, don't we? I heard it this week in conversations when people said things like, well, they'd have more savings if they budgeted better. Well, if she wasn't wearing those clothes. Well, if he hadn't been running in the dark. You can fill them in. Because you know them, you've heard them, and maybe we've even said them. It's easier to cast blame than to face tragedy, because facing tragedy means admitting that we are vulnerable too. That's the dynamic that sets Jesus up to give this parable of the fig tree. The fig tree that's in danger of being cut down any day our lives are unpredictable and they are urgent, Jesus says. None of us knows how long we have, so we better get on with the business of bearing some fruit. The second section is equally heavy. That's the section that I started with, with the chickens, and we call that the lament over Jerusalem. 
Jesus laments over Jerusalem because Jerusalem, in this context, has chosen power over truth. What we might notice here is that Jesus isn't worrying about the Romans or the Samaritans or any other group of people kind of out there. Jesus here is single-mindedly focusing on his listeners. It's easy for chickens to blame the fox, but here Jesus is redirecting our attention. Foxes are going to do what foxes are going to do, he says. The question is, what are we going to do? It feels heavy, maybe, because it is heavy. Jesus is a lot easier to take when he's pointing fingers at the Pharisees or, you know, some random sinners or Herod. But not today. Today, Jesus is holding up a good, long look in the mirror. And it's the kind of truth-telling that really is better left to Jesus. So I'm not going to try to list all of our sins today. Instead, I want to spend some time with this general idea of truth and of repentance. And I want to spend some time with that with an eye to the bigger question of why is it so hard to repent? Another way of asking that is why is it so hard to be wrong? Why does Jerusalem stone the prophets? And why do we? One of the things that's puzzling about it is that we're not just talking about being wrong on a math problem. We're talking about being wrong in a relationship. And that's actually the place that we should feel most comfortable admitting our faults and trying again. If you can't work towards being a better person with the people who already love you, and who want to see the best for you, then when can you? There's a cartoon that shows a couple of people um, standing in their living room, kind of presumably in the middle of some marital disagreement. And one person says to the other, why do you get so defensive when I attack you? And it's funny because it's absurd but it's also a little true. Obviously, we get defensive when people attack us, but we also get defensive when people simply speak the truth, even if they speak the truth in love. And I'd venture to guess that any of us, if we were asked, would happily admit that we are not perfect, But if someone else dares to point that out, walls go up and angry words come out. Jerusalem, it seems, stones the prophets because it is easier to kill the truth-tellers than to put in the work of doing better. And we can talk about it on multiple levels. Jesus is very clearly talking about it on a big level in our passages today, a systemic level, we might say in modern language. He's talking about this complex way that we interact as a society. Jerusalem itself is a place. It's a little dot on a map. 
It's not capable of acting in a way that's right or wrong. Jerusalem as a society is. But then we can also talk about this on a personal level, which is where we are focusing today. While it's crucial to evaluate our cultures, our governments, to see who they serve and who they're willing to throw away, it's perhaps even more crucial to recognize where we fit in that puzzle. And Jesus draws our attention there. Otherwise, all of the conversations about global tragedies and injustice are just another way that we avoid looking in the mirror. It sounds harsh because Jesus here is harsh. It is that crashing on the piano keys. But when Jesus talks about sin, which remember is just missing the mark, it's never for the sake of judgment alone. It's with the love of a mother hen calling her chicks home. There's a poem by William Stafford that begins like this. Sometime when the river is ice, ask me mistakes I have made. Ask me whether what I have done is my life. Is what you are doing your life? Jesus is asking for us to live the life that we mean to live. And the only way for us to do that is to live with both a sense of possibility and humility. That's why on Ash Wednesday, if you were able to gather with us or if you've experienced that in the past, you know that when we mark people with the cross, we remind them of two great truths. They are mortal and they are love. These aren't opposites. They are part of our fullness. We are children of possibility, and the time is short. That is what Jesus draws our attention to today. And as we continue to journey with Jesus through the rest of Lent, I invite you to hold those questions open, not with a sense of shame or judgment, but a sense of being welcomed and gathered and rejuvenated to become the person that God is calling you to be.